people would that freaking helicopter is back. Weird dude. I just don't know. Um they're listening to us. So maybe it, maybe it's the NSA. Um uh, oh and there's our open. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, we are recording. We are good to go. So, what's up? What's new? Um, I'm trying to embrace the gray hair uh, because mm-hmm. mine that data last night on Twitter said that he's won business deals because that he had gray hair. Really? <laughs> well, that's what he said. He said uh, he, he. I think he was kind of being a bit facetious, but he's like, no, and he's like, I, I've had. I've had a few buyers say that they ended up buying from me because of my hair, because it made it look like I had a lot of wisdom and experience. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Well, we'll go with that. So that's that. And then, uh, my son left for college this morning at six in the morning. So he got tired of being home and having people tell him what to do. So he's like, yeah, we had to go back to the college dorm where we didn't have to deal with that. Apparently. So nice. He didn't want to be told what to do anymore, so he's done with that nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that is that. That's about it. All right. So I am registered for a half marathon. Oh, yeah. Nice. We're up. The Shore, the Jersey Shore. Ocean City, to be specific. They have a half marathon. Does it go down the boardwalk? So, yeah. Well, it starts at, like, one of the main thoroughfares goes um toward the north end of the island goes over this bridge out onto um part of the mainland mm. back over the bridge down toward the middle of the island and then you come back up and you you know, you run pretty much the length of the boardwalk from there very fun to, to end it it's been a while uh, it's been a while since you've done a marathon right uh four years has it been that long yes 27 wow wow are you ready uh i'm starting to train again yeah, I was talking to Hila about it, and I said the lessons I learned from the first two half marathons I ran was, you know, like for me, I'm not competing to win; I'm competing mm-hmm. to finish. Yeah, and the one of the lessons I learned is, is you know, you don't train for speed with something like this; you train for endurance. You train to to stay on your feet. Yeah. So I try to go out and do. I've been the last couple of weeks doing three miles every day. Um, sometimes like, um, like a run walk pace other days with a weighted backpack because mm-hmm. my, my, what I'm testing out is the idea of like, you know, moving with resistance. So as I condition my body to, to do that, um, when the actual day comes, like, I, I, you know, the goal is to be in a much better position, but yeah, like you're training to be on your feet and moving for anywhere from two to three hours, depending upon the pace that you keep. I couldn't do it, but, uh. That's off to you. When you say run walk pace, is that like 
just a slower per mile pace or are you doing a cadence where you're you're running then you walk then you run then you walk the the latter so okay. and I, is I, it I, oh go ahead not good is it is it based on how you're feeling or is it more interval based where you time each of the segments um some days it, it is based on just how i feel like sometimes like I'm trying to now stretch it into four miles a day. Now, granted, like you, you don't want to be doing the 13.1 miles every day because then you would just completely beat yourself up before you actually do it. Um, there's there's different apps out there that could teach you like the distance you have to run. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm doing more self-direct at the moment. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll integrate something like that where they say today you're doing two miles. Tomorrow you're doing six. Something something like that but as far as your question goes is i actually have a little timer on my phone that like i put the headphones in put music on and then some days i'll do 30 30 30 seconds run 30 seconds walk 30 seconds run 30 seconds walk other days it's you know eventually i want to push myself to where it's maybe like you know 45 seconds on 15 seconds off or something like that got it very cool. Um, have you ever thought about doing one of the more endurance style races where it's less kind of pavement and more some of like, where I think there's some that run like the tough motor. Well, not, not, not to that extreme of like, I, I think that's a bit more designed to be a bit crazy, but more, more just off of the paved environment. So I think there are some that are on the AT um, there are some that are just in other mountains. I think there's some in the desert somewhere. You know what I'm saying? So it's more, no, uh, no, not interested. Not interested. No, no. So, I mean, for, for our listeners, like, I mean, it's, since it's been a while since we've, we've actually talked about this, I think it was only in the first couple episodes we, we talked about it. Cause that was the last time I actually ran this, ran something like this. I'm not a runner, never mm-hmm. have been. I'm doing it as, as a challenge. And part of the motivation is it doing it for me in places that are fun. So in this case, doing it at the shore. You know, I've run two of the the Disney races through the theme parks. Doing it in fun places. Like, I, I don't know if I'd ever go that crazy because this is just, this is a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, you got to do what you enjoy and, and enjoy it while you do. Um, Speaking of, of running in Disney, because I, I watched this documentary and it, it, you kind of made me think about it. You, you don't really get to enjoy the environment, though, right? <laughs> you're like you don't see this. You don't see any of the sites while you're running or do you? If you can keep a good enough pace. Yes, you can. OK, because um, they have like the, the characters out along the way. So you can you can stop and get pictures with them. Um, and sometimes like there were a couple of times where I was running. So in those races, you have to keep a 16 minute mile pace, which is a jog to a run walk kind yeah. of pace. Like yeah. the, the last one I did by the time it was actually that weekend, I did a 5k, 10k and a half marathon in three consecutive days. So by the time the half marathon came, I worked to build up enough of a pace early on that I was ahead of the people at the end, sweeping people who weren't keeping up. So, I mean, by the last three miles, I was walking more than anything else. Yeah, uh, Cause you're just toast at that point. Yeah. But no, like you, you can like with those kind of things, it's meant to, it's meant to be fun. So yeah, like I've got pictures of myself running, running through the park and posing at different spots. And the one I did in California, in Anaheim, you actually part of the race, you run through angel stadium. So I have a picture oh, really? of myself oh, on cool. the warning track in, in Angel Stadium. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I was just thinking about it because I've been religiously watching uh, the Tour de France since probably the '90s, um, and I was, and then as camera technology gets better and better, I'm like, man, France is a beautiful country. I don't think these guys get to see one inch of it. <laughs> They're so just going. And then I watched this documentary, kind of speaking of the Appalachian Trail. Um, I watched a documentary where a, a guy ran the AT. Um, I can't remember how many weeks, maybe months it took him to complete it. Um, but I'm like, man, this is such a beautiful trail. I'm not sure he remembers one segment of it, just going all out to try to do it as fast as possible to me. I mean, I guess if it's the end goal to kind of do the completion is what's driving you. But to me, it's like, man, you're, this is such a beautiful journey, but you're kind of missing all of it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not a distance runner, so I don't know what, what really the drive is to, to do it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like for someone like me, like I would, I would want to take it in, but, but yeah, like there, there's others that are trying to beat some kind of time. And yeah, if you're trying to beat a specific kind of time, you know, you're, you're not taking in the sights around you. You're not yeah. stopping to, to take pictures. I'm going to look up this record now to see how fast he did it. <laughs> it's an enjoyable documentary nonetheless. Uh, 41 days, seven hours and 39 minutes. Hmm. Okay. So there you go. Which I think he had to be, I, I don't know kind of what the pace, I, I, I don't know what the average is for people doing the, the AT as a, in, as a, what are they called? A through hike. Um, but it's, it's more considerable than that. Uh, let's see. The through hike durations range from 40 something days, which is the record. Uh, most complete the trek in five to seven months. So hmm. if you do a whole through hike of the AT, let's say six months, he did it in for what? 42 days. Yeesh. That, that's crazy. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating documentary nonetheless. So. Yeah. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. I'll see if I can track down the name. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I really don't have a segue. I was really hoping that would give me a segue into, to our topic today. So uh, we're just going to go right into it. So recently, we just wrapped up a series of episodes focusing around career experience. Wait, I, 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 have a, I have a segue. Oh, good, good, good. Go for it. Um, before before I before we get there, um, I was going back through some of my notes on um, Goodreads, um, which synced apparently at some point in time with a Kindle that I got as an Adobe Summit gift probably 12 or 13, maybe 14 years ago. Um, And I was going back through it and I'm like, man, this was so incredibly valuable to have all these notes and highlights archived for me. I should maybe think about getting an e-reader again. And I start, and I think I threw it out on Twitter asking people if they had recommendations. And I want to say that some of the e-readers now have a different pricing structure in which you can buy a more, let's say, economical e-reader for one price. Or if you're willing to pay a premium, you can pay a higher price and what you get in exchange is no ads. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I've been contemplating this morning. Yeah. Um uh earlier this year i bought my wife a a kindle 
a new a new Kindle. Okay. She needed one like that. What is it? The paper white one? Yeah, the paper white one. It's it's and I have a one that I bought several years ago that still functions just fine. And both the one I bought years ago and the one I bought for her, I went with the the premium price for the no ads. Mm. Um, because yeah, they, what they do is is you can get it at a lower price, and you know the the ads they serve up to you. Um, are customized based on your reading, and then it you know it subsidizes oh, the lower cost. But if you actually look at it for those and many of the other brands, the you're saving maybe twenty five thirty dollars. The last time I looked, like it wasn't a substantially. It wasn't like it's two hundred fifty dollars, or with the subsidized ads, it's seventy five. It's not like that gap. It's a very very small gap, and I'm like for. The, the the data I'm going to give away for those tailored ads, they're going to make a hell of a lot more than twenty five or thirty bucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I, I I I didn't I didn't I haven't done much research on what it meant um, between the two versions, but I guess that that makes sense. Obviously, to have it. Um, let me see what the price supported is. Uh, so the paper white I don't know what's going on with this I don't know if there's a new version coming out soon or there's massive price competition but between Best Buy, Target and Amazon like some of them have got the price down to like $80 it's uh, incredible uh, okay so on Amazon the 8 gig is $150 with ads without ads and $130 ad supported. So what? 30, okay. $30 difference. So interesting. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they're, they're, they're um, scraping your, your kind of data, uh, both your, probably both your personal information that you sign up as with an account, if it's synced with your Amazon account, and then they're overlaying that with your reading behavior, right? I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> obviously titles and authors and genres, but also maybe speed and number of books and how long it takes me. And they're probably using that knowledge to then turn around and target specific. Ad. Have you, do you have an ad supported one by the way? No, okay. no, I don't have an ad. Supported I'd be interested one. to see what kind of targeted ads they were able to uh, offer up through that experience. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the cost, right? I mean, it's a $30 more or the cost is, I don't know. Are, are they still taking my personal reading? behavior data there, there probably are now here's the thing I, I can't lie that you know working in this space over the last 12 plus years or whatever hasn't given given me a healthy level of paranoia about what people are watching me do when i'm using connected devices like mm -hmm. this um in fact like uh, several years ago john narang and i had a couple different conversations around where is that law ethical line and i don't want to talk about ethics of data collection today but yep. it, again but it kind of plays into this where's that ethical line around data collection um because there's just more and more data collected and, and you brought up great things with collecting information on this connected device to serve up relevant ads not just titles authors uh genres but I, I love the idea you brought up, like you mean you went to reading speed, length of, you know, length of mm -hmm. novel, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like yeah. all of those details around just you're not just 
the metadata around the particular items that you're buying and reading, but other actions around that. I mean, yeah, you're probably right. They're probably scanning to see how fast you read a book. You know, do you typically enjoy books that are 600 pages or more long? Like you want those really, really long ones to get into it. Or are you more of maybe just something like a good 200 page, you know, fiction or something like that just for, for enjoyment. Yeah. Number of days, how often you read all of yeah, those kind of things. Current frequency. Yeah. You know, all of those things. So, so what I've been thinking about, I remember a couple years ago reading a few articles around, you know, the beginnings of the commercial internet, you know, 20 so or years longer. Like it's weird. My wife found this great meme as, as a quick aside, found this great meme like a week or two ago. And she's like, I don't care what anybody says. My head is still in the early 2000s where the 70s were 30 years ago and <laughs> yeah. you know just 10 years ago was 1990 and you know those kind of things i'm like yeah that's my head too you know 30 years ago was 1990 not the 1970s but so even probably you know even longer than that probably you know encroaching 30 years or more mm-hmm. you know around the create when they were starting to build out what became the commercial web. And I remember reading this article. I, I, I tried to find, I couldn't. Um, one of the people involved said they came down to two major ways that they wanted to fund it. There was a subscription based model mm-hmm. and then the ad supported model, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea that people could have access to information for free for ads placed on the site. Um, and with this particular person and several others that were involved in, you know, kind of, saying this is the model we're going to use to fund content on the internet um there's a level of regret now you know not just with being inundated with ads but the the explosion in data collection over over those periods of time like uh i I just think about and again i will go back to i cannot lie and say that being in the industry that we're in seeing what what data is collected i do have a healthy level of paranoia i will call it a healthy level of paranoia um that i'm like hmm okay you know if i'm using a connected device what could they be tracking about me and in most times i'll be honest with you i don't care you know can, if can, i'm browsing can I, can, I, can I give you a quick aside on that yeah um while i do too i i also go to the opposite extreme um so especially now with apple's new uh very scary worded warning about allowing apps to track you and whatnot. Um, I oftentimes select yes, because I am, I empathize with, with analysts that are (laughs) are in the role of analyzing data. I'm like, you know what? I got to give these guys some data. And also I find myself uh, sometimes doing some crazy things just to kind of lay a little bit of an Easter egg. I'm like, I wonder if somewhere sometime someone uncovers this and I'm like, this guy knew what we were doing and he left us. That's funny. (laughs) So (laughs) I occasionally will do that and kind of leave little traces where I'm like, man, if an analyst finds this, they're going to giggle. Yeah. So that's actually really funny. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like I, I have a healthy, I consider it a healthy level of paranoia. I don't shut off all, all tracking. And where I was going to say that was, is like, if there's a site that I frequent, I am totally cool with them recording my browsing information. If that means maybe I get, some really good recommendations yeah. for, for products, services, and whatnot. I, I, I am fine with that. But where I wanted to take this conversation, though, is, is in the idea of, like, what data is collected to support relevant ads? Um, how much, like, 
how much are we giving away in the name of free access? You know, if you think of social media, how much information those those platforms collect. Like, I mean, I remember hearing that, um, uh, you know, Facebook within seven interactions knows you better than you know yourself. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with just the volume of data that they get. They're easily able to create those models. Um, you know, do people realize how valuable those likes and dislikes and, and, and whatnot are, you know, how valuable they are to those companies and how much they're, they're giving away in the name of free access. I mean, it, it's such a, a tricky conversation to have. Um, um, I, I think in general, and then I think specifically with a lot of our content um, publishing clients, it's, it's even more so because that's, a, a primary revenue stream. Uh, so it's, it's, in, it's an incredibly complex discussion to have that I'm, I'm not sure anybody has really solved for sure. Um, and, and I think one of the big challenges that we have is we've gone over the edge of a cliff that I'm not sure we can climb back up to. Um, I can't remember the name of the term. I, at one point in time, I was really into watching rock climbing documentaries. And there's this term where you can climb yourself into a position where you can't climb back out. You, you, you know, you're able to get in, but you can't get back out. And I, and I think we've, we've got to one of those kind of cliff edges where we were able to get to the cliff edge, but we can't get back out. And that edge is that we've created this um, environment where, everything is fully accessible and free. You know, if you think back to the very early days of Napster, maybe was it Wireshark or is that a, what am I thinking of? A uh, live wire? Uh, Lime uh, wire. Lime wire. Wireshark. You know, we had all these peer to be peer to peer sharing platforms where um, we just felt like everything was free. And, and even recently, I don't, you know, it's it's amazing to me that this is so publicly um, talked about. But he he streams. Um, it, I don't know if you're familiar with with them or not. Um, I think it's literally one guy in an apartment. Uh, he basically found a efficient way to rip off broadcast streams and okay. and rebroadcast them on his website and app. And the crazy thing about it is he charged people, and I know people who were paying members a membership to access these streams, completely illegal, right? Like he's like taking an MLB feed and rebroadcasting it on his platform and charging people an access fee to access the MLB feed. He so got he didn't down. have he didn't have express written consent from Major League <laughs> Baseball. <laughs> no, no, he did not. But he operated in public. It was crazy to me. I'm like, this is yeah. so incredibly illegal but he operated for years and years and years and finally i don't know if it was threats or lawsuits or what but he he finally shut it down but you know capping that booking that you know he he streams with going back to napster in the early days of peer-to-peer and it set this mentality that if it's on the internet it should be free and I don't know that we can walk ourselves back off that cliff. I think we've got to this cliff edge where we're not able to walk it back. And so I, I think you've seen businesses try to be creative, try to put up other things, but there's constantly pushback, you know, stop putting up a paywall, stop putting up these ads. Well, it's like, shit, guys, how do you want me to pay for all this content? And the, how do you want me to pay the content creators to create this? Like, this doesn't just happen for free. Like it's costing us money to create this content. Someone has to pay for it either 
directly, either through subscription, either through ad revenue, either through your behavioral data that we turn around and sell and monetize. There has to be some form of, of paying for this data. But again, I don't know how we walk back this mentality that we've created that if it's on the internet, it's free. And it's, you know, I, on one hand, I get it. You want open access to data, but on the other hand, you know, you look at what content producers are creating, whether it's actual thought content where I'm writing, maybe I'm writing a book or creating some other piece of content, music or art, or maybe it's, I'm creating an app. The mentality is, is like, that's awesome. I want it for free. And, you know, just look at some of the apps on the app store that you're like, this is thousands and thousands of dev hours to go in to build something this amazing and people aren't willing to pay for it. And if they are willing to pay for it, what are they willing to pay? Yeah, I'll pay $1.99 a year or I'll pay $5 for a lifetime membership. It's like, this is crazy. Um, but that's where we're at. And so it's this, this real conundrum of how do we continue to monetize creators to, in order to keep them going and creating more content? How do we balance that with this, thing that we created that if it's on the internet it should be free mm-hmm. I, I have no idea i don't think oh, I, I have no idea either and yeah. i and again i'm trying to remember you know the, the, this article like I, I i remember the the first part of you know him talking about like the, this decision and the, the regret that they have but yeah i think like even those folks that were involved they don't know how to go back now you know and, and because here's the other thing too is is the amount of data that some of these platforms collect it um, and the amount of money they make off of it. I don't think they could replace the revenue lost if all of a sudden they had to turn off the data collection and have to, and have to switch to a subscription model. Well, and that's another, that's another question because, you know, we started out talking about this, this Kindle where you can buy it ad supported or not you know, where's the line in what you're, you're paying for. So even if I am opting out of ad supported and I'm paying the premium of $30 to not have an ad supported um, piece of hardware, um, they're still collecting my data, right? That doesn't opt me out of them knowing all the information to push me targeted ads. They're just not pushing me targeted ads. So who's to say that that's not being used in some other way to, to monetize my, my behavior. And there's that healthy level of <laughs> paranoia. Yeah, paranoia. <laughs> but it's true, uh, right? Like that's, yes. you know, these, these businesses are are thinking, I mean, just think about, it, let's say $100, how incredibly affordable this like powerful computer that you can have literally a library you hold in your hand. And it's like $100 to hold a library in my hand. That is incredible. But... But in order to get there, there's other costs that we have to pay. And, and that's, I think, the conversation that people are either unwilling to have because they don't understand it or know or unwilling to have because they want their, what is it, they want their cake and eat it too or something. I don't really yes. understand what it means. but Basically, you want to have your cake and be able to look at it and see it, but you also want to taste it. You want to cut into it and eat it and taste it. And also not have it all go directly to your, your stomach and thighs. That too. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't know the the answer to like because you're right. Like we have absolutely hit that point of no return mm-hmm. where you you can't go back um, yeah. on this. Uh, I mean, it's 
it's I, I think like the, the 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 amount of value data has goes even just beyond ads at this point. Yeah. Um, and and like if you were to shut off that, if say they were so somewhere to come out and say data collection is illegal, which we know that's not going to happen. Like, but let's go to the extreme. And you need, you know, if you need to, you know, to to be able to fund the business, you need to have a subscription model. There are companies that would go under just on the, you know, there's no subscription amount that you could charge that would uh, replace the value that comes in with data. And, and and even subscription model in place, I think it's it's very challenging because again, people want their cake and want to eat it too. Mm-hmm. They they're what what I think people would that freaking helicopter is back. Weird dude, I just don't know. Um, they're listening to us. So maybe it, maybe it's the NSA. Um, uh, oh, and there's our open. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, I think what people will, will do is they'll get frustrated. So they'll pay the subscription, they'll find that they're, and this was going to go back to my point of what, where I think business should, should focus is they'll find that over time that the user experience degrades, that they're now forced, forced to wade through like a bunch of content and stuff that they don't like, that the, the experience is a bit more rigid and like just not fine tuned. And they say, well, wait a minute, what happened here? I'm paying, I'm paying to have a great experience. I'm giving you a, a subscription fee worth my great experience. Oh, well, you said we couldn't collect information on what you're actually doing. So we have no idea what's working and what's not working. And so we're just kind of taking our best guess. So you kind of have to live with it. No, no, no. We want that. Okay, that's great. We need your data to do that. Well, you don't get our data, right? So, you know, there, there has to be there has to be some realistic balance. I, and I'm not going to beat this metaphor to death, but you can't have the cake looking there all nice and pretty and also have some big slices out of it because you want to eat it. Like you have to make some decisions here. And I, and I just don't think that the average consumer has enough exposure to what we do and to how data works to be able to have a really informed decision on what the value of how the value of data impacts their daily life. And I think that's a huge failure on the industry as a whole. Um, and so what you see happening now is people are very swayed by public opinion. People are very swayed by their favorite cable news channel. And if they pick it up and say, Ooh, this is scary. They're collecting all this data off you. They're going to go to the biggest, you know, conspiracy theories and, opt out of everything when in reality there's a lot in their day-to-day life that makes their lives easier and more enjoyable that is powered by data um, that if it went away they would freak out but they they just don't know they don't understand and I think there has to be some level of education and communication on a level that they can understand to help educate on why data is being collected. And so, you know, going back to kind of what my recommendation or our recommendation to businesses would be is number one, regardless of the model, if it's ad supported, it's subscription based, if it's some kind of paywall with some other form of payment, like um, I think there's some up where you can pay by the view or the article or whatever, the download, regardless of what the model is, I think your focus needs to be on experience. Um, because if not, your in-game is going to be set anyway. And I see this a lot in the newspaper industry that has played around with um, paywalls. 
um, and also played around. It's not so popular now, but I, you know, we I, we can probably remember back a few years where where new staffs were seeing huge layoffs and they were having revenue problems, and they really tried to go all in on ad supported revenue. Do you remember what the user experience was like reading an article? Oh, it was brutal. It was it was brutal. So you go to an article. And you have to, first of all, you have to hunt and peck to find the actual article because the whole page is wrapped in an ad. Then there's a banner ad and it scrolls down as you scroll down through the content. And it's like a third of the page. Um, Then you have all these ad placements within the body. And oh, by the way, we took a half page article and we split it up into six pages so that we could get new ad impressions every time you click next page. It was a horrific user experience. And that's because they led with the ad model as being the decider for how we would create things. What can we do from a design perspective to ensure that more ads are displayed to the user? Rather than thinking about, no, 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 what should the user experience be? And then if we're an ad model, if we're a subscription model, then wrap that model around the experience. Very, very few companies are thinking from that perspective. But that in my mind is the clear winning strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes, it, it, it actually does tie in with the conversation John and I had several years ago around like, where's that ethical line of data collection? You know, where is, where, where, where's that line where it's like, yes, we're collecting data to improve the experience, to make your experience better, to have, um, to have content tailored to you and then going beyond that, like when does it start to go, you know, when it's greater than that and, and actually kind of does become a bit of a privacy issue and I'm rambling at the moment, but yeah, I am reminded of that conversation multiple times at this point. Yeah. Uh, You know, thinking, thinking that through because yeah, like I, I think like if, if the industry did do a better job of educating on exactly why we're doing this, what what's the value in it? What the cost, what the value to the customer is and where they can actually see a better improvement? Because yeah, I think it, it's evolved in such a way behind the scenes. It's under the hood. Nobody realizes how how it impacts them. Because that, yeah. that's the one thing about cookies. I, I do believe cookies are the boogeyman. Um, you know, they they do get people ramped up, and I'm like. I've got no problem with it if it means that they're going to tailor what I see on the site to what I've done before as far as browsing goes on that site. Yeah, and I think that this is where, and I don't know if it's been by design or it's because it's not been attacked at the same level as online behavioral targeting has been attacked, is this is where I think offline has done a better job of it. And I'm, and I'm thinking primarily about loyalty card. Um, so, you know, your local grocery store, um, the, I don't hear a huge uproar about using a loyalty card at your grocery store. And I don't know if that's because they don't realize that they're tracking you through that card. Um, or if they've made it so that the perks are substantial enough. Oh, I get to save 40 cents a gallon on gas. Oh, I get free artisan bread if I buy enough in the bakery. Oh, you're going to push targeted coupons to me based on my purchase behavior. Um, I don't know if it's, it's that, um, but you know, people that would have a, a freak out about allowing, um, a, a digital entity to track their behavior on a website are basically 
giving a free pass to their grocery store when they walk in and hand them the loyalty card. And now they know your entire movement through the store, your purchase patterns, your, your, all of that. Right. Um, and so we, the, this isn't, this isn't something that's unique to, to online. It, I think it in, impacts every area of our life. And I think it's a very valid um, conversation to have, but it's one that I think we're, we're, we're not really doing it justice just to hyper-focus on digital. I think it needs to be a more holistic discussion of what data is freely available to collect, what, what rights do we have as individuals to that data, um, and what options do we have for it being collected or not. Uh, again, I think digital is an easy entry point to that conversation, but again, just think about your movements day-to-day. Um, Again, if you're going to a grocery store or a favorite restaurant, are you using their their loyalty cards, you know, not even their apps, just a physical loyalty card or your phone number to track your purchases? Uh, what about your credit card company that has your entire transaction history and can watch your entire behavior patterns? Um, what about local governments and police departments that have uh, cameras all over the streets that can scan your license plates and and start to build a detailed history of where Jim drives every day and it's everywhere, right? It's ubiquitous. Um, and I and I think focusing on just one aspect of it isn't really telling the full story of where our data is and what the cost is of having that data freely available to whatever entity is collecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like that, that story about, um, this was what, seven, eight years ago? The, the the guy who found out his 17 or 18-year-old daughter was was pregnant based on a mailer target sent to the house uh because target um had a model down where they were able to identify certain categories of product purchases kind of led to you know you kind of have you know you know a woman being pregnant and uh, like i think she had gone about these items then you know learned that she was pregnant or something like that and then she hadn't told her parents yet and then the, the mailer shows up you know, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, breaking the news that way. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of questions, ethical, legal, moral, and, um, and again, how much individual right versus group right versus companies doing the right and moral and ethical thing. It's so, it's such a complex, again, I, and, and you combine that with being stuck on this cliff face where we've crawled down to and we can't get out. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you solve it. You know, I think I think the Europeans made a huge initial step with GDPR. I don't know of any companies that are really fully compliant with GDPR. <laughs> you know, so it's mm-hmm. it's been good front page material and and there's a strong presence as far as opt-ins and opt-outs, but you know, the complexity of capturing and using data is is so intense that even a program as robust and rich as GDPR I don't think it's there's any company in the world that is really fully compliant on the regulations there. So, and honestly, that that's the that that's the thing that happens when you do have you know some giant monolithic um, program such as that. You know, yes, yeah, yes, a great step in the right direction, but sometimes like could it be too big, too far reaching, and at times too general that people don't even know what compliance is. Yeah, I mean, I think it faces a lot of problems. One, to your point, it is so overbearing that the ability for any one company to be compliant is almost near zero. 
Um, it's just too far reaching and too complicated to, to put into play. Um, I think, I think that's definitely a factor. I mean, I think another factor comes back to the, uh, what is it? Was it the, um, Ford Pinto case, um, where the, uh, economists and lawyers, uh, and the statisticians all got together and said, okay, what is the cost of paying out the death benefits for people that get killed in rearing collisions because of the poor gas tank design versus doing a recall and fixing it. Oh, it's cheaper to pay out the, you know, the, the legal settlement. So that's what we'll do. These, uh, you know, a lot of these programs, these, these companies make net tens of billions of dollars a year net, not even talking. I mean, gross is some massive number. So to these companies, these fines are like a few pennies. Um, the impact to them is a few pennies, but if they then get value from doing it from an economic perspective, it's like, okay, so should, if we don't fully comply, we have to pay a few pennies. Okay. Um, but what do we get? Well, we get this incredibly valuable behavioral data that's going to allow us to make even billions more. I'll, I'll, I'll pay a few pennies to make a few extra billions. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, for our obligatory, uh, sports reference, that's the New York Yankees. Mm. You know, MLB, unlike the the other three major sports, has a soft salary cap. It doesn't have a hard cap like the others do. So you go over a certain salary value, you pay a luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a, a certain percentage. I think I don't know if it's like of the total salary or or whatever, or like you know what the difference is. And this, the the New York Yankees, the the salary cap, the luxury tax is it's pennies to them. You know, as as long as they keep winning, they they have no problem. I mean, they they basically budget in what their salary, uh, what their luxury tax hit is going to be, yeah. as far as going over, you know, that that soft uh, salary cap. Yeah, and and what happens when you get bigger, either from a sports organization or a business organization, is that that size that you have creates a lot of um, lobbying power. Um, Mm -hmm. and so you have, even if, even if, uh, even if major league baseball wanted to do something about it, the lobbying power of the players association is, is going to make it. So it's incredibly difficult for them to create fines that are, are meaningful for either owners or players. And we see this at both the sports level and the business level. And, And the sad thing is, is that, you know, who ends up getting hurt by this is the little guy. Right. And, and the same is with GDPR. So if, if I'm a massive brand, um, in, in Europe and I get slapped with a GDPR violation, I don't care. It's, it doesn't hurt me, but if I'm a tiny brand and I'm trying my hardest and I just don't have the cash flow to employ a hundred people to run my compliance office and I get hit with a fine, it could bankrupt me. And that's mm-hmm. the sad thing is that, um, these, these regulations and privacy and things that have been put in place while I think, well, meaning to protect the consumer, ultimately it's, it's theater, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. It's not protecting the consumer because most of the brands that are using this data, um, maliciously don't care about the regulation. They're willing to pay the fine. Nothing that you're going to do to them is going to harm them. Uh, because they've got the they've got the money and they've got the lobbying power to make sure that it doesn't. And so what ends up getting hurt is oftentimes the little guys that are trying to operate in good faith and they just don't have the ability to keep up with these heavy, heavy handed regulations. And they end up getting fined and hurt and, and ultimately put out of business. And so it's this big smoke screen that, oh, we're protected now because GDPR 
it's all it's a myth it's a lie you're not these companies are are not protecting your data they don't care if they get fined um and and actual businesses and people are getting hurt um because of it Mm -hmm. so i don't know again i don't know what the answer is i don't think it's regulation yeah i just don't i just think anytime you have regulation big companies will always get out of it and so you're never going to solve it through regulation Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and I, I don't know the answer either. Today was just meant to be a meandering conversation to kind of kick off a series of episodes around privacy. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I mean, but there is, is a lot to think about. It's you know, one, how, how can companies be proactive? How can the industry be proactive in informing people on the truth of, of data collection, but then also at the same time, where is the ethical line? For, yeah. for, for those companies yeah. like when do we say like you know enough's enough and that's a very very broad statement without kind of going spinning off into a whole thing of like what is enough enough being enough it, it's a it's a broad statement um but i think i think consumers ultimately do have the power um it, and they should take it back from governments they should take it back from regulatory agencies consumers ultimately have have the power and um that means that consumers should voice what they're comfortable with what they want what's ethical what's agreeable and companies that are able to align with that and still do business in a way that they can be profitable um Mm -hmm. are, are going to win but that only works if people shun those other companies so if we sit here and say we want data regulation. We want data privacy. This is important to us, but we log into Facebook every day. We're, we're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. The only way to do it is to say, I'm not going to use Facebook anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I'm not going to visit this company's website. I'm not going to buy it by this company's product. I'm not going to listen to this company's podcast. Um, hopefully not ours. You listen to ours. Yes, please but, listen to us. Um, you, but, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, um, it, it, unless consumers get together and say this is what we want this is what we expect out of out of um uh, content providers out of out of companies that we're buying from and then companies align with that or they don't and allow the chips to fall where they may we're we're just playing a game of theater by thinking we can regulate this by thinking the browsers can put in controls ultimately i think this needs to come from the consumer and consumers need to vote with with their wallet which I think they're, they're scared to do. We see it all the time, right? We see it all the time in the data. We see consumers going online and complaining about product X and I'm never going to shop from this and I'm never going to buy that again. 99.9% of the people that say that are absolutely lying. They absolutely are going to continue to buy it. It's easy for them to say it. It's hard for them to actually put their wallet where their mouth is and vote with their wallet. And, and I think ultimately... If, if we want a, a more balanced conversation around data privacy and exchange of goods and services for, for data, um, it, it really needs to come from the consumer and the consumer is going to create that conversation and vote by where they choose to spend their, their money. And time is also money, by the way. Yes. Yes. Very well said. Um, I, I, I thought of the, the the line it, it came to mind as you were talking um if something is free you are the product yep nothing is free yes 
There's, there's always a cost. It's your time, it's your attention, it's your data, it's your allowing someone to observe you. It's nothing is free. So, Correct. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think there, that is a good place to, to wrap up. Yeah. This was a fun and spirited conversation. It was, it was, yeah, no, no, no specific outcomes, but just uh, a good, you know, good chat about, you know, what is in the news a lot right now. Giving something for people to, to think about. I I think that that's really where I've kind of centered, at least on my personal content strategy. And I think it probably works uh, for 33.6 as well, is that a lot of these problems we're wrestling with, with companies are very big and complex and it would be, um, it would be a bit audacious of us to say we have all the answers. We don't. What we have is a lot of experience, a lot of firsthand knowledge of what we've seen work, not work, a lot of experience to give us the ability to hypothesize about certain things. And I found in, in kind of the more personal content I've created is that rather than trying to say, I have all the answers, I've been putting out content saying, I've had a lot of interesting observations on how things work and don't work. And the value to people consuming that is, hmm, I hadn't thought about that or hadn't think, thought about that in that perspective. That gives me a lot to think about. And I think, you know, this is a perfect, perfect episode for, for that. We're, you know, we didn't solve anything. We didn't create anything new. But hopefully the discussion was engaging enough that people listening will walk away. It's like, wow, I have a lot of new things to think about now. I think that's actually much more valuable than us saying, well, the solution is to blah, 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 and then install one trust and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yep. Totally agree. Cool. All right. Cool, man. Well, thank you much. Yep. See you guys later. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.